Hi, and welcome to Showcast. In this episode, we fall in love with augmented reality. Today, I'm speaking to Kevin Zhu, senior designer at All of It Now. All of It Now have been working with Korean supergroup BTS to create integrated AR stage designs for the Love Yourself World Tour. This is the first ever tour to use live integrated AR camera systems, and Kevin oversaw the technical integration of this entire system. So join us as we discuss balancing a belly full of production elements while showing yourself a little bit of self-love. You're listening to The Notch Showcast. Hello and welcome to Showcast. Today I'm speaking with Kevin Zhu, Senior Designer at San Francisco Creative Agency, All of It Now. Hello, Kevin. Hi, how are you doing? Yes, I'm very well. Thank you so much for joining me on the line. Thanks for having me. Kevin, All of It Now quite literally does all of it and your studio is always experimenting with new technologies. What are you really interested in right now? Um, I think it's always just trying to push the boundaries of what we can do combining technology and art together. Um, I think what's so fun about working at a small studio is the ability to be quick and agile and try new things all the time. Yeah, I saw your open day. Well, I recently published a showcase on your open day, um, which had a lot of different experiments on it. The digital distortions. Oh, yes. So that was a fun project we did for um, our San Francisco Design Week. So we opened our studio for the first time for this event. And um, in doing so, we wanted to create some experiences that we thought would be interesting to other people as well as for ourselves. So the digital distortions was a really nice way to use Notch and leverage some um, of the techniques that we traditionally use for iMag and live performances, but turn it into something that's more of a personal experience. So that's kind of where that uh, was born out of. Amazing. And do you do you still have them up now or did you take them down after your uh, open day? No, our, our lab is kind of a, you know, San Francisco stuff is, uh, spaces are not very large, so we have to be mm. flexible with how we use our rooms. Um, but, you know, we have a lot of that stuff still and we do want to always, you know, refine, revise and push out a V2, V3, V4, so on and just always, you know, keep using what we've learned to make the products a little bit better each time. So all of it now has been using Notch for, well, since the early days, and your experimental projects really play a big part in our community and the development of Notch as a real-time tool. So thank you. Of course. It's been a real pleasure kind of seeing the trajectory. I'm glad that uh, my colleague, Berto Mora, dragged me into the ecosystem fairly early on. So, <laughs> And uh, we recently put out a new release, so I'd be interested to hear what you think about it. Sure. Um, I think the new release is really exciting. There's, there's a lot of new features in there that I've kind of been asking for for a while. It, it's never been a priority, but it's been something that I've always thought would sort of push Notch as a content creation tool to the next level is being able to, you know, if you have more time, wait for a higher quality render or a higher quality product. And being able to do that now, I think, is a huge step forward. It really puts it in the same playing field as all these other sort of path tracing tools out there like Octane or Redshift or things like that. Um, so for people that already use Notch, it's a really nice uh, new capability that is, I, I would consider, really easy to tap into with existing projects. 
And for people who haven't tried Notch yet, it, I think it's a nice incentive for them to start that exploration because they are now able to see, um, you know, how far you can push the quality of the engine. Hmm. And I'd just like to add that you contribute some fantastic tutorials on Notch to the community. Ah, thank you. <laughs> and um, anyone listening can watch these by searching Kevzu and Notch in YouTube. So um, before we tuck into your work with BTS on the Love Yourself Tour, I'd like to go back in time and find out about how you got into this crazy game of designing and working in video content for some of the largest acts in the world. I've had actually a very indirect trajectory. It's wandered all over the place, you could say. Um, you know, grow, growing up, I've always had an enjoyment of art and, uh, I didn't know at the time, but design and I, it, I never really considered it to be a career. I mean, I was, I was born into an immigrant family and we were very, very sort of uh, technical skills focused. So I, I grew up, you know, thinking I wanted to be a scientist and an engineer and it was very genuine at the time. I, I really did want to go into engineering. So I, you know, aimed towards that trajectory all through high school and in college, I studied to be an engineer. Um, so I was practicing bioengineering. I had graduated and was working in the biotech industry here. And I actually got laid off with my, um, with my entire site uh, because we got acquired by a larger company that decided to consolidate to the East Coast. So from that experience, you know, it, it, it was a lot of positive and a lot of negative, And I kind of got the full experience that a lot of uh, fresh graduates don't necessarily see. And I realized that Working in a lab all day was not quite the right fit for me, so I traded it for working in a studio all day. But <laughs> um, it was it was a really good experience for learning how to learn. I think that's probably the most valuable bit of experience I got from all that you know science studying and engineering was being able to look at technical things or look at um, engineering documents and be able to make sense of it. So I've always been a very structured sort of thinker as well as visual. Um, so in that time of unemployment, I decided to try some new things. And that, uh, that trajectory led me into LED art and working with um, electronic systems to make audiovisual, uh, audiovisual installations, essentially, of LED. I was very new to it at the time. So looking back on it, it's kind of funny to see old work, right? But um, through that process, I got to meet uh, Howard Wong and Danny Furpo, who were, are the partners of all of it now. And at that stage, it was a very young company, and they kind of taught me everything I know. So we started with projection mapping and VJing at local nightclubs and small installations. And through that process, we've had the, the real pleasure of working with people much more skilled than ourselves and um, absorbing some of that knowledge and ultimately growing into where we are today. So I think I've started to find my voice in terms of my interest in design and graphics and 3D animation. So coming from a perspective where I'm not classically trained like that, I think it helps keep my mind open. And I'm not too afraid to break rules, so to speak. But um, again, I, I, I'm really thankful for all the people around me that have studied this field and are able to give me advice that I wouldn't have otherwise. So that's kind of where I am today. Yeah, it's really cool. It's um, definitely learning on the job and um, absolutely. No, I, I, there's a phrase that's quite big in um, film and television it's called like no film school but I guess I was thinking about it in, yes. uh, in like the wider sense and I guess it's like no art school or you know I it works at animation as well <laughs> 
I, I think the key is just to, you know, that that's why I say in my tutorials all the time is to just keep learning anything you're interested in. You know, as long as you put your mind and passion behind it, you really can go a long way as long as you keep at it and are persistent. And I think design and art is a really, really good lesson in humility and always being inspired from as many places as you can be. So how did you learn to animate? Uh, that's a great question. I, I'm not quite sure myself. I think I think a large part of it is watching um, tutorials online. I've had a lot of uh, time watching Grayscale Gorilla and EJ Hassenfratz and iDesign and all these wonderful animators that have shared so much knowledge for free. I think the internet is really amazing and it's a big reason why I try to do the same thing is I've had the luxury, I feel like, of being able to basically get by with no art school and no film school and learning from other people in the industry and on the job that I'm actually daily kind of surprised that I'm able to do some of the things that I can. So it's, it's, um, it's a really good learning experience to just learn from as many people as you can. Cool. And today we're going to discuss your design process for, um, for a pop group that are taking the world by storm at the moment, BTS. Um, the Love Yourself World Tour sold over 1 million tickets worldwide and hits, wow. yeah, 1 million, yeah, and hit stadiums in the US, Europe, Asia, and South America. Have I missed any off that? That sounds correct. Pretty much the entire world. <laughs> it's amazing, really. Um, BTS are a seven member boy band from Seoul in Korea. And in K pop, each member has their own personality and special talent. Um, I'm particularly fond of the rapper of the group, J-Hope. Uh, <laughs> uh, J-Hope fan. Yes. Uh, Everybody has their favorite. And I'm actually, I'm, I'm a really big fan of Korean music in general and really excited to say that I'm going to be going to South Korea in March to check out some of the local oh, talent and go to some gigs and get the bullet train to Busan. Um, so if anyone's not seen Train to Busan... And is a zombie fan, then, uh, yeah, that's definitely one to watch. That's on my list. I haven't seen it <laughs> it's yet. It's so good. It's on there. It's so good. Okay. Like, <laughs> one more recommendation yeah. there. <laughs> you know, I'm kind of prepared for a zombie outbreak if it happens in that moment, you know. No, that's good. South Korea is great. It, it's been, uh, been there two or three times now, and it's always been a really fun time. We're usually stuck in a studio or a warehouse, but... Um, the, the, the people are very, very accommodating, very nice. Awesome. You have to mail me some recommendations afterwards as well, if you can think of any good bars or places to eat. Yeah, we spend a lot of our time in the <laughs> doing the show. So I'll have to think a bit, but um, maybe maybe I can figure okay. something out. <laughs> good takeaways. <laughs> oh, the, the Raccoon Cafe is worth okay. a visit. nice. And uh, well, you say you've been to... Seoul and South Korea quite a lot and you've worked with BTS previously um, on their last tour creating mostly rendered content um, which you mm -hmm. created in Notch but this time round for the Love Yourself tour you added some sparkly new elements to the show in the form of AR um, so for the Love Yourself tour all of it now did the rendered stage content iMag effects AR content and the technical integration of the entire AR system. Um, 
so yeah a lot of a lot of elements there and it was a very i guess element heavy show if that's a <laughs> yes definitely a lot of moving parts i mean we're not we're not the only content team there in a in a part of it we're i think we're fortunate to be part of so many great teams to make this experience happen i don't think any but any team could do it on their own really so um, Fragment 9 is kind of the creative direction of the overall thing. We've, we've worked with them before, and they're always a pleasure to work with Jeremy and Jackson. So um, they, they've kind of brought all the various content teams together, and they help us work with Plan A and Big Hit to make the show happen. So, uh, you know, in terms of the content, in the past, we, we've done some notch-rendered content for a portion of the songs. And same thing this year, we did a little bit of that again, as well as some added iMag effects. So it's um, we've been working with BTS and Fragment Nine and Plan A for um, a few t- a few times now actually. So they we've earned each other's trust and we have a communication workflow that is um, that already has a foundation. So I think it was easier for us to explore such new technology because it's it's new to everyone, including ourselves. Um, it's it's certainly not easy to deploy. We've learned a lot of things in that process. Um, I think from the notch perspective, it's, it's a wonderful tool for making AR and real-time graphics because while we can render things for this giant stage and the LED panels that it has, when you talk about live interaction, it, there's no other way to do it other than in real time. If you want to be able to move a camera through your scene or change the angle from which you're um, viewing these graphics, you, you have to do it in real time. So a lot of our time was spent figuring out what sort of elements would make sense for this stage that is not in a single environment, but ends up going around the world. You know, they have different shows, start times, sometimes during the day, sometimes at night. So the lighting conditions vary quite a bit. And we spend a lot of time thinking through that and trying to figure out how can we create content that would work for all of these scenarios. And this is the first tour to use live integrated AR camera systems. And you had two AR integrated cameras in action throughout the show. Uh, Where did this mad idea to include AR in a stadium tour come from? I I think at that time, everybody was getting excited about AR. We were starting to see some implementations of it, not not in tour scenarios, but in broadcast and in TV and sort of one-off live performances. Um, And I think a large part of that is because it's quite hard to deploy. You know, there's a lot of moving parts to it. But there was a lot of interest, and I think especially in Asia, um, a lot of the Asia community is really receptive to AR and this kind of new style of entertainment for all the viewers at home or, you know, to just to add interest to something that they've already seen before. So I think similarly from the big hit and plan a perspective to them, it was something that they wanted to add to their tour to make it special, you know, set it apart from other tours happening or even the previous tours that they've done. So for them, it was a, an an opportunity to try something new. And I'm really glad that they had the trust in us and in the whole team to move forward with it and make it happen. I think the, there was a really magical moment. I remember during rehearsals when uh, we were in LA at the time doing rehearsals and we had just gotten the whole system up and working and we called over, you know, plan A and creative directors to come and take a look. And it was a really fun moment where everybody got to play with it and draw some particles in the air and have some fun with it. And it, it, I think people really got to see the the magical effect of it and being able to not have to rehearse this perfect choreography, but be able to just interact with it live. And 
it, it turned into a playground for a couple of minutes and it was really nice. And was that part of your pre-visualization process and, and development R&D? Yes. Yeah, so important when it comes to communicating sometimes complex ideas to the wider team who might not, their world oh, might not be in, you know, technical production or, you know, any, any of these technologies or content even. Um, yeah, I mean, I think of our job is to make the technical part easy so that we can focus on the creative. And do you feel like you've set the bar now for other tours? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> it's, uh, I think that's the hard thing to say. I mean, it, it, so many of the tools are still being developed at the time. You know, there's a lot of feature requests and support tickets, I remember, that I think every tour will have the opportunity to do it better. You know, I've already seen some, maybe not on tour, but other implementations that make me go, wow, they did that really well. Like we should, you know, do this or do that and learn from this. So I think, I think it was a really good um, V1, you know, really good first try for us. We've learned a lot of things from that process that we're definitely going to take moving forward. I hope that we keep making better products. I mean, it's funny because BTS goes on tour so much. We've actually refreshed that little AR segment a few times now. So from the first time it um, was seen to what it looks like now, it's actually changed quite a bit. Okay, cool. And is that developing it for dependent on the stadium or just kind of keeping things fresh for the performers and for the crew? A little bit of both. So when we were making that um, the first time through, it was already the second sort of iteration of their tour. So the first like speed or love yourself went on tour. And then um, when we started in LA, that was the start of love yourself, speak yourself. So the second chapter of this tour, and then they just did kind of like a new finale thing in Seoul, which we did a slight refresh for as well. Okay. And um, why do you think it's important to experiment with this medium AR for live performances? What I love about AR is the ability to not just control 2D space on a screen, but to actually be able to extend content into the 3D world. And that, that's something that I think is extremely exciting. I mean, we, we, we design all this content in a 3D environment and 3D engines like Notch or Cinema or, you know, all sorts of tools that allow you to do so. But all the end deliveries are typically in a 2D format, whether it's an LED screen or a projection surface. I think as far as you can go, it's kind of like a 3D projection map surface, but it's still sort of a 2D texture that's going on to that. And you're you're tricking people into thinking it looks 3D, right? So AR is no different. We're still tricking people into thinking it's 3D, but it just feels more like it exists in the volume of the real world because you have to actually place it in space and work with these 3D controls as it's running or, you know, adjusting it while it's running. It, it gives you a semblance of creating in the world, which I think is really fun. And I know that this tour's gone out in on DVD for every stadium. So I guess for the viewers at home, they get uh, an extra embellishment almost or some added, I guess, post-production, but not, not post-production because it's happening there live and on stage via the IMAX screens. Right. Right. I, I forgot about the DVD stuff. Um, yes, that's right. This, this will be viewable by um, anybody at home or anybody that were, were, was watching certain broadcast events. So, you know, I think the reason that it's been so prevalent in the broadcast industry is to give it a little bit of interest, a little bit of extra interest for the viewers at home. So for people to rewatch this, I think uh, I, I look forward to seeing some of these DVDs actually and see the result. And I'm curious to see how, how it was shot in this broadcast format. 
And I'm sure working with an international client was challenging enough, but um, how did you find translating what AR is and how it be implemented to the artist, management and production? The language barrier is actually not too terrible. A lot of um, our contacts there speak really wonderful English. I'm quite impressed because I speak very terrible Korean, if any at all. Um, but they, they, they're, uh, they're very familiar with making content. So a lot of the um, discussion barriers really went on with technical integration. So how the AR graphics are created and how it's ultimately composited with the video feed. A lot of the discussions revolved around that and sort of what could be done or what couldn't be done. It's, it's interesting because a lot of stuff in the in the real world that you wouldn't think twice about being able to arrange in a physical environment, you have to keep in mind that certain things are tricky with how you're doing the AR. And I think that's something that um, there's a lot of discussion on is what is the best way to implement AR? There's so many different ways of what, there's so many different methods of what the umbrella of AR covers that each one kind of has different do's and don'ts or what you can and can't do. Um, so a lot of our discussions revolved around, we can do this, but this isn't really possible with the type of AR that we're rolling out. Um, once we were able to show and, and kind of help uh, help them understand these um, limitations, then we were able to work within that to create something really nice. Because often AR is associated with the AR you get on your phone and how it can augment you know, your face into a dragon or a puppy. Um, but in broadcast and in live production, it's kind of it's kind of it's the same, but it's kind of different. And um, a nice phrase that I heard recently was um, it being described as the augmented window. The augmented window. Mm, so it's like a window. Yeah, it's like a window into an augmented world. Um, so I thought that was quite poetic. No, that's an interesting term. We're not quite sure what term to use anymore. You know, it's <laughs> it, it's some form of reality. But is it augmented? Is it mixed? Is it extended? Is it a window? Right? It's um, to us that the terms uh, actually don't mean that much, you know, because we're visual thinkers. It's more of what does it end up looking like? Like what is the effect you're trying to achieve? And then I think a lot of these terms get added when we get into marketing and explaining to people or hitting the sort of taglines, right? Mm. Do you think using those terms makes it easier or more difficult to describe what you're trying to achieve? A little bit of both. I mean, I think people have preconceptions associated with those words. So when you when you use those terms, people have different ideas of what it means to them. Um, so that part gets a little confusing, but it also helps bring that person into that sort of conversation topic pretty easily. Um, it's, you know, if you're talking to your mom or something, it's really easy to say, oh, you know, augmented reality, and they have an idea of what it is. But when you're getting really granular with someone that is in that industry, it, it often helps to explain the effect itself or talk about the techniques that you're using rather than the term that kind of covers that area of study. You mentioned earlier working closely with Jackson Gallagher and Jeremy Lecherman uh, from Fragment 9. So these guys were the production designers and lead creatives. Together, what did your development process look like? Ah, so Jeremy and Jackson are brilliant to work with. They, they're really, really perceptive when it comes to not just visual design, but stage design and lighting design and how all those elements work together. I always have a great time working with them because they think about all of these elements and how they coordinate. And they're very direct with their sort of feedback and creative direction. So it's always a really smooth process when I work with them. You know, every job is different and none are without its own bumps and 
bumps and adjustments on the process. But overall, um, our dialogue is very straightforward. I think they really enjoy using Notch because it's so quick to see a preview and um, to make small changes to see what that might look like. So we've always had uh, a really good workflow together in that um, they've given me the opportunity to develop my skills and improve my speed in Notch. And in return, you know, they get to see revisions and reviews quite quickly. So it, 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 it's a two-way street. And I think we speak sort of the same language and have figured out a workflow where when they're asking to see something or, you know, can't quite express it in words, we kind of read each other's minds a little bit and get an idea of, you know, okay, let me try this. Thing. I think what you're, I think I get what you're getting at. Let me try this and see what it looks like. So it's been a, it's been a really good learning process working with them. And I think we've kind of found our rhythm now when we work together. So when you were sharing ideas and, and developing concepts for the content, what were you developing on? Was it using mood boards or were you developing straight into Notch or another 3D program? Ah, uh, yes, there's definitely always some sort of mood board or creative direction document. I think I think those are really essential in any job just to keep everyone grounded in what the overall visual feel of it is like. Uh, I think typically they start with the creative direction planning of the show and the overarching themes and um, flow of it. And they often send over visual mood boards, thematic elements, requests from the client, things like that. And we ultimately process it into initial testing and um, potential avenues to explore. And when we get closer to the date, then we start to hone down those avenues and figure out which one is the right path to go down and revise down that avenue. On site, there's a lot of hand gestures. <laughs> there's a lot of uh, pointing yeah, and uh, positive making handshakes. <laughs> oh, oh that, definitely positive ones. <laughs> but it's like, can we can move like this, or can we do this sort of pattern? Mm-hmm. So it's um, usually starts with conversations, and then we manifest that in Notch or some other tool just to visualize it. And I think um, there there have been a few instances where we've used Notch really, really quick and dirty to just show like with cubes how the movement might work just to give them an idea or for them to show um, big hit and plan A and get their approval on it before we move forward. So um, we definitely use Notch as a prototyping tool as well. And uh, each song for this show has a really different look. Um, I'd love to know kind of what visual references you started out with um, at the beginning of your content creation process? Yeah, so um, the visual references that Jeremy and Jackson choose are, are, is, is kind of an interesting process. It's more of um, a communication of feeling than it is of literally what it will look like. So um, there's, a, there's a bit of creative freedom then in there of interpreting, interpreting what, they're, um, what they've communicated visually as a feel and ultimately turning that into options that match that feel, but gives us some freedom in terms of what the visual look of it actually is. So um, depending on the song, you know, these references can be all over the place. Like there was for Singularity, the whole feel was underwater. So a lot of the references were like dark water, you know, someone floating in water, maybe the bottom of an ocean bed. And we took a lot of those themes and tried to make our own sort of underwater environment. I feel like all of it now is actually really suited to K-pop as a genre in that K-pop artfully combines lots of different music genres within each song, much like how all of it now combines a lot of different technologies and um, content mediums and workflows into their productions. Is there anything you had to take into account with this 
change in tempo and change in uh, genre within each song? Definitely. I mean, they they keep us on our toes. You know what I mean? It's not it's not the same style and feel throughout. So a lot of it, I think, falls on Jeremy and Jackson's shoulders, actually, of making sure that one song flows well to the next and the order of the set list makes sense with how content and lighting flows. They also have a lot of interstitial videos where it's like breaks between songs for their um, for their wardrobe changes and for them to get a break because they, they work very hard on stage. Mm. <laughs> um, so there's a lot of moments where there's actually gaps between songs that they fill with videos or interesting, you know, fan tidbits. So it's, um, it's, it's really a roller coaster in terms of how their show goes. If you watch the whole thing through it, it goes, like you're saying, it cycles through so many music styles that for us, we're, we're used to working with a lot of different um, artists and styles. It was definitely interesting working with so many different styles with the same artist. Um, so I would say that overall, their management and the talent, they, they definitely have some type of um, creative thread or visual thread that they're interested in. So there's, you know, they're always very interested in vivid, um, almost kind of magical imagery. And I think a lot of the, the challenge was introducing items that aren't so uh, standard in K-pop and Korean pop culture and bringing in actually more Americanized or international elements. Um, I think what helped too was having a team working on it from all over the world. So, you know, we're, we're from the Bay area in California, United States, Jeremy and Jackson are also based in the United States, but they have other content teams from the UK as well, working on it. So I think being able to merge all these teams together really created a nice hybrid of K-pop culture and, uh, the pop culture there and the visual themes there with, um, other design elements from around the world. So a truly international team. And there's a lot of different physical elements to the show as well, including inflatables. Can you actually tell me what the inflatables are? Oh, that was amazing. <laughs> so for, I, I had never seen anything like that before, but they, they had purchased these two giant inflatable leopards. Okay, cool. And that's the opening <laughs> act of their show is they, they, they're, they're these like silver reflective leopards and they must be... I don't know, like 20 or 30 feet tall and they inflate in a matter of seconds. So it's the opening act and these two giant lepers come out and they have all these like pillars that they have dancers on and this whole set design. That's their opening act. And that's just one piece. Yeah. <laughs> so they, they've added all these elements that I, I had never seen in a show before. Like there's one scene in euphoria where he climbs onto what we call the flying hook. And he flies around the arena oh, <laughs> above God. people's heads. It's quite, it's quite insane. The the first iteration too had all these moving screens and light fixtures that would change the entire feel and look of the stage uh, between songs. They have they have water cannons and confetti cannons and pyro and the whole works. So when it came to the technical setup, what did your process look like? Were there any specific requirements you needed to ensure that you could accurately produce the AR elements? Yes, definitely. So the I think that was probably one of the, the toughest things was making sure that we had enough time to do all the setup and calibration. Um, the, the hardest thing is setting up the cameras and making sure that they're accurately calibrated. It's kind of one of those things where it's never perfect, and the more time you spend with it, the better it gets. So there's never a we're done point. <laughs> it's always a we're out of time and we have to move on. 
Um, so that that's that I think is easily one of the biggest challenges of deploying AR in a, in a live scenario, much less a you know considering a touring scenario where you have to repeatedly do this. Um, obviously, for every venue you load into, you only have so much time to get everything built. I think typically the load-ins are a two-day thing. So they have to build the entire stage, all the LED, all the lighting, all the special effects, front of house, all the wiring and um, any sort of power needs all need to fit within a window to then give us enough time on the stage to add um, our calibration bits. So the first iteration definitely takes the longest. We have to place markers on the stage for um, the red spike camera. So the roaming camera needs markers on the stage to read, to know where it is. And then for the other camera, it's uh, what they call a Vinton head or something that reads encoders on a tripod to figure out where the camera is looking. So the, the Vinton head's a little better to calibrate because you don't actually need the stage built to do it. You want, you just need the camera built in place with knowing that it's not going to move to calibrate. Once the stage is built, then we're able to do the red spy portion. Um, and so all of this are, are cameras that are created by Stipe or camera tracking systems that are created by Stipe. So it's, uh, it's a bit of a process. Um, and if something goes wrong, you obviously need time to troubleshoot that. And because it's so new to the world and also to us, you know, we're kind of learning how to use it as we go too. And there are little tricks and optimizations that we learn a little bit later in the process and wish we had known it earlier. You know what I mean? Um, but I think overall, the, the, the most time-consuming part is just making sure uh, the technical systems are communicating and they're communicating the data correctly because everything depends on that. If, if the camera tracking systems aren't working accurately, none of the AR graphics look convincing because they... they the, the basically the two 3D world spaces don't align. Physics and is off. things look like mm. they drift around and aren't in the right place, and it kind of ruins everything. So everything relies on camera tracking systems to be good. And is that something you have to recalibrate um, from stadium to stadium, or is it dependent on the? Because you've got once you have it set for the stage, it, it, it's set and ready to go for every show. We have to recalibrate it every show. So that that is the hardest thing is you have templates or baselines to work off of after the first show. But every time you put the stage decking together, you know, it moves a little bit. Mm. And every time you put the, the Vinton head, the encoder tracking camera down, it's at a slightly different position than where it was. Or the tripod legs might not be rotated quite the same way. Or the camera team might pull a fast one on you and switch out a camera. You know, so it's... <laughs> It's, um, there's a lot of variables to deal with, you know, wet weather actually has an impact as well. You know, if you suddenly have to carry an umbrella while you're trying to calibrate this camera, it just slows everything down. Yeah. So, I was going to ask, how is it translating from an indoor stadium to an outdoor one like Wembley? It's very tricky. <laughs> it's, uh, I, I wasn't there for Wembley, but I know that there were a few stops where it was actually snowing as well. Wow. <laughs> um, so it's, it's actually a better test for the, the, the gear and their, um, how weatherproof they are than it is for the process. The process is roughly the same. There are just elements with gear and protecting it that slow you down. Right. So um, most of the stress is in, is in just making sure you have enough time to do all this and that you don't make you know, user errors because you're tired from touring and things like that. So Neil, Neil Carmen, our Stipe, our Stipe and AR engineer did a, I think a wonderful job making all this work. He's the one that went on the road and made it work in every stadium. So kudos to him. Shout out to Neil Carmen. Big up. 
Um, so were you on site during the production? Uh, for the first stop, yes. So when we kind of rolled from the first re- the rehearsals into the first show. And so that's the portion I was involved because that's where you create all the content and make sure it looks right. Um, after the tour goes on the road, you know, they can't take everyone with them and we have other work to do as well. So Neil Carmen is kind of representing us and making sure that everything goes uh, according to plan. Yeah, I'm going to come back to that in just a moment. But I'm kind of, I'd like to know, how did you choreograph the interactive moments in the show? So it, it was kind of a, um, it, it definitely had a revision process to it in terms of we would create a, sort of a base plan based on, or so plan A and Big Hit would communicate to us what they would like the choreography and the sort of uh, sequence of events to be. And we would create something like that and pre-visit with D3 and Nosh to show them, uh, sometimes without the stage, but basically doing pre-visualization renders from D3. And they would take that and make adjustments to their choreography based on what they're seeing, what we found worked well or didn't work well in terms of how the interaction was. And it definitely went back and forth a few times like this where we would make the sequence and say, oh, can we change this one portion because we want him to do this action or make the shape or when these uh, accents in the song happen, we would like this to occur. So uh, it goes back and forth a bit. And that's where the whole being able to see it live um, in a digital environment allowed us to develop that without the stage and the whole system built. So, you know, using Notch inside D3, that, that really gave us the ability to position elements and change the position of elements and be able to render out a preview of what this whole scene might look like. It's a pretty tough gig being a designer for some of the biggest shows in the world. Um, And yeah, I guess sometimes often adrenaline filled, often probably stressful. How do you avoid burnout? That's a great question. (laughs) Uh, It was definitely more stressful in the beginning. And I think I think the stress changes a bit. So when when you first work with, you know, maybe a talent that you idolize or someone that you really respect, most of the stress comes from trying to make sure you do a good job. You know, you, you don't want to mess up your opportunity in that sense. And you want to be hired again and be able to work with that talent again. So I think a lot of that stress initially comes from a little bit of imposter syndrome, right? Of, oh man, am I, am I really fit for this job? Am I able to do this? And, you know, a lot of being able to quell those thoughts down is just, for me at least, is keeping busy with revision notes and producing content and trying things to solve that design problem. That, that I think is a really nice way of channeling some of that energy into producing results. Um, as time goes on, like you're saying, to prevent burnout, I think a big part of it is just learning to limit your hours on site and being able to structure things over many days rather than trying to finish everything in one session. Um, a lot of time management comes into play and communication is really key. You know, if, if something just isn't working and you spent the amount of time you think you can spend doing it, you have to talk to whoever's creative directing or managing to make sure they're aware of what's happening and to figure out what the best plan of action is. Um, I will say that one thing that's wonderful about Notch is not having to worry about waiting for renders or things like that. I mean, working next to the other content teams, I kept overhearing discussions about, okay, we're going to kick off this render. It's going to take 15 hours. We'll come back tomorrow and look at this and revise. And uh, that's a whole different level of stress that I'm also familiar with. But um, I think those are kind of the main stresses that I've experienced is either, you know, you're, you're nervous about ability 
or you're nervous about um, time or you're nervous about a uh, change in direction and things like that. And I think the more you do it, you, you get used to methods of handling those, uh, that sort of nervousness or energy in different ways. And I'm still learning, you know, it's never a perfect process, but over time you, you learn to address those items and then past that, it's just learning how to pace yourself, you know, because it's, it's a long-term game for people in, in the design and animation industry. Your, your job isn't done after this project, you know, you have the next project and the one after that to think about too. So a lot of it is making sure you take care of yourself, right? You, you make sure you eat, eat well, exercise, you know, take breaks, do the things that make sure you stay sane <laughs> because you, you don't, you don't want to just be able to do this for that one project. You know, you, you want to do a good job and you should give it your all, but you also have to maintain um, a sort of rhythm and pace to your life in general, because you're going to be doing this all, all day long, every day. Um, so I think that's been a huge lesson for me is in, is thinking less short term and thinking more long term. Yeah. And thinking about that helps keep you grounded. It's all about self-care. And um oh, most definitely. <laughs> and you you mentioned about uh keeping in good shape uh mentally and physically and emotionally for the next show and the next production. Um what is next for the production? What's next for the Love Yourself? Well, I guess it's actually a very fitting tour name, considering what we we're just talking about. <laughs> That's um, right. Yeah, what's next for the um, show? So we just helped them um, do a little bit of a refresh for their sort of finale in Seoul. I don't know what their plans are. They're they're kind of good at surprising us, you could say. Um, we still call the never-ending tour because I think they're going to keep it going or maybe do a refresh. I, I'm not really sure. I can only speculate, really. Um, but their uh, their shows are always selling out and in high demand, so it would not surprise me if they went on tour very soon. They, it, I read that it just sold out within seconds. And what's next for Kev and all of it now? Next for us, uh, we're you know exploring... Um, some of the new features in Notch now and trying to implement some of those into our AR workflows. Um, a lot of our time right now too is spent looking at um, new tracking systems and things like that. So figuring out how we could better use and deploy some of the Stipe camera tracking as well as performer tracking and thinking about how we can take what we've learned to make better, not just AR, but also content products in the future. Um, a lot of our time in the past few months has been spent in team structure building and sort of organization to make our workflow a little bit more streamlined. We recently brought on um, a new intern that is now a junior designer. So that was really exciting for us, uh, Sophie Chen. And she's been really great and really eager and uh, actually very impressive in how quickly she's been picking up Notch. So she's become an integral part of our team quite quickly. But, uh, you know, next we have we have some projects in the horizon. I can't talk too much about it, but we're always looking forward to that next thing. Uh, and, you know, an opportunity to try something new. Um, yeah, I really look forward to seeing uh, what comes out of all of it now next. Is there anyone you'd like to take a moment to spotlight for their contribution to this project? Good question. Um, I think... Actually, I would like to spotlight uh, Wally from Plan A. So Wally is our main uh, creative contact from Plan A, who essentially represents the management and BTS as an organization. 
So Wally is brilliant because he's able to not only communicate with Jeremy and Jackson on content for all the songs, but also ourselves from the AR component. And his um, his translational skills are really good. So he's able to get the ideas across and make sure that things are communicated correctly. Um, in scenarios where we're not quite sure what to do, he's also typically the person that comes up with the thing to try, you know, and is usually successful. So he, he is really good at what he does over at Plan A. Lovely. And finally, what advice would you give to someone thinking of creating an AR integrated production? My advice would be to do a lot of testing, you know, try try it in a lot of different scenarios and put a lot of variables into the mix that you think will occur on site. Um, the hardest thing, obviously, is having all the gear together to do the testing. But I think that is so essential in the learning process. I think um, being able to test these scenarios and get problems solved before you arrive on site is crucial because there is never enough time on site to to troubleshoot and figure things out. So the more you can do in advance to prepare yourself, the better off you are. And a lot of that, I think, involves talking to other people, you know, getting involved in the community and asking questions and making sure that all of your concerns have some type of solution or some sort of uh, consulting input that is so valuable. Um, you know, and we, when people ask us questions, we always try to help in any way that we can. So come talk to us, you know, come talk to me, come talk to Berto, come talk to our team, because we, we like chatting about these topics. We have a genuine interest in it and we want to see other people do well too, because as a whole, when people deploy AR and these new, um, these new technologies, well, everybody wins. You know, we want to help push this sort of uh, production forward. And I think it's going to take everyone involved to communicate and share their knowledge for it to happen. Awesome. That's really cool. Um, well, I think that's about time. Um, so, yeah, uh, it's gone really quickly. Um, yes, yeah. definitely. It's been a pleasure. <laughs> um, it's been really great to get you on the line, Kev, and I uh, really appreciate you taking some time out to give us an insight as to how all these parts fitted together and how you integrated something quite novel and something that hadn't been done before um, into, you know, one of the biggest touring shows in the world. So, yeah, it's really been great talking to you about it and i really appreciate you having me here him i can't take all the credit it truly is a team effort and i'm so thankful for all the people that i've had the opportunity to learn from and develop my skills with absolutely it's very talented team okay cool um well i'm gonna sign off thanks so much for coming on and bye thanks again for having me take care i know bye You can check out All Of It Now's work by heading over to their website, allofitnow.com, or by following them on Instagram and Facebook at All Of It Now. You can also view photos and renders from the Love Yourself tour on our website at notch.one forward slash showcase. Let us know what you thought of today's episode over Twitter at notchvfx hashtag showcast. Will you be notching this Christmas? Show us something awesome you've made using the hashtag madewithnotch to feature on our Instagram feed at notchvfx. Next week, the Notch team are joining me for a special New Year's Eve episode where we'll be talking about our highlights of 2019 and looking to the future of real time. Catch you there.